0: This is episode two of the Moral Money Podcast. Hi, this is Jeremy Kalin, and I'm the host of the Moral Money Podcast, a collective inquiry into how money binds our lives together and how money can strengthen our spiritual connections. In this second episode, we're joined by a longtime friend, Paul Bodwin, now pastor at Aldersgate United Methodist Church in St. Louis Park. In this rich episode, we spoke at length about Jesus's teachings on money, about challenges in personal budgeting, and about a pastor's role in fiscal stewardship for a moderately sized church like Aldersgate. We also talked explicitly about how how Aldersgate raises the needed funds to sustain their church. It turns out, One key to meeting Aldersgate's budget challenges, spinal tap, going to 11. As always, I'm really appreciative of your time and uh, hope you'll share this podcast with your friends, your family, neighbors, co-workers, and congregants. I hope you'll download the episodes and check out our website, moralmoneypodcast.com. On moralmoneypodcast.com, you can learn more about Pastor Paul Bodwin on episode two's show notes. Clicking Listen Now or the Episodes tab on the upper right. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Long before we get into the story of, you know, how Paul Bodwin that I knew in high school and my wife knew in Mm -hmm. third or fourth grade. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Long before we do that um, uh, and talk about how that Paul Bodwin became this Paul Bodwin, Right. Same person. uh, I really want to know, you know, growing up, um, how did you experience money? What did your parents teach you or those around you? What What are your earliest memories of money? Um, I wasn't taught much
1: intentionally. You know, we didn't talk about it. Uh, my parents divorced when I was really young, so it's pretty much just my mom teaching me about money. But, And I think uh, being a single mom in the 80s, raising two boys, um, she was pretty frugal. And so that was probably the biggest lesson was, you know, we didn't, we didn't get anything excessive in terms of clothes or cable TV or uh, vacations, never had fancy cars, nothing. I mean, it was just very stripped down, frugal house, no air conditioning, no dishwasher, you know, none of that stuff. Um, So I think that was probably my first lesson in money was a a big lesson between wants and needs, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was also tough because, you know, friends had things that I didn't. Um, And it wasn't because we couldn't afford them. And it's not like I was... I mean, there was always like, food on the table yeah. and clothes on my back and everything, so I had nothing to complain about, but um, just not a lot of luxury. So that taught me about frugality and um, living with what you got
0: and making do. Can you think of a specific time when you felt like uh, maybe that you didn't have enough that you first became aware that, not have enough, but you didn't have everything that you mm-hmm. could ever want? As a kid? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. maybe as an adult, because oh, those I, are two different answers, Yeah, right? yeah they're very different <laughs> answers.
1: Well, I, one of the big ones was uh, I, I really wanted the, um, you know, remember those Star Wars figures and there was the big Millennium Falcon oh, yeah. ship that was like the envy of everybody. Absolutely. And, and friends had them and I just didn't, and it drove me bonkers. Um, then the other thing, but the other one that was a little more real maybe were like vacations and stuff. You know, a lot of friends that yeah. would go to Disney World and... Mexico or whatever, and we just never, we never went anywhere. Um, we, we, didn't, we didn't take vacations. And I don't know if that was yeah. a function of money um, or
0: a function of time and energy, but I think money played into it. I've been thinking exactly about that because we're uh, able to take a vacation or two a year uh, now as adults with our kids, and I had the same exact experience and mm-hmm. uh, I think even uh, growing up in Sioux City, Iowa before the farm crisis that uh, oh, podcast listeners will hear more about our, our, my story and our family story in the future, but uh, I think even when we moved to Minneapolis, you know, we lived a block away from Barton Elementary where you, you yep. guys went to school, and I remember one of my brother's friends would go to Arizona a couple times a year with family, and I just thought that was so decadent. Yeah. And like that's what really, not quite wealthy wealthy, but people who had a lot of money could do that. Uh-huh. We certainly didn't have it at the time. And now being, I, I don't know, you know, I used to be a legislator representing a pretty blue collar area myself, and people took vacations and they, you know, nowadays right. a lot of people, I mean a lot of your uh, congregation probably yep. is able to take vacations think maybe our just our values have shifted a little bit or the cost of doing so has gone down I don't know what's changed but it has changed I remember that same childhood memory yeah it
1: has changed and yeah and I don't know what it is I I mean flights are cheaper maybe um I don't know but uh, but I do remember um you know my dad left town when I was young and he lived in Illinois and then Pittsburgh for a few years and I didn't appreciate Pittsburgh when I was a little little kid. Now I'm like, oh, that was a great city. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but then he moved to South Florida, and I and this was like fourth grade or something. And yeah. I remember being really excited that my dad was moving to South Florida because now I got to go to Florida, yes. which was like one of those vacation spots. Exactly. And I'd go in the summer, which wasn't great, but um, but I felt like I was validated. Yeah. Uh, because now I get to go to Florida all the time.
0: Interesting. So. Interesting how because. Uh, not many of our friends were divorced, had divorced parents at the time. It was more exotic than Yeah, it was becoming typical. more
1: commonplace, but but yeah, it wasn't the norm.
0: Yeah, but uh, but you really were raised during the school year by your mom here and mm-hmm. had that experience of yeah. scarcity and... Perceived it, scarcity. Yeah, right, exactly. We never
1: really were. I mean, right. we always had what we needed. Yeah, There was never any doubt. Yeah. Um, but But because I didn't have any of the luxuries, I felt like, there was scarcity.
0: Uh, so you answered my question with sort of a twofold thing of, like, uh, what are your earliest memories of money, and uh-huh. you said, as a, as a kid? So how about as, an, as a grown-up? What are your uh, first realizations as an adult around managing money or yeah. experiencing money?
1: One of the big ones was uh, was when I was about 16. Um, I don't know if that's an adult, but when I got my driver's license and um, the auto insurance increased a certain amount yeah. by virtue of me driving now. And, and my mom made me pay that. Um, and that was sort of my first lesson in having like a bill yeah. that had to be paid. And there was great motivation to pay it. If you uh-huh. remember back in those days, <laughs> your driver's license was Independence, like... Independence, baby. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> status, nowadays those, it's the yeah. phone, but uh, um, kids aren't as excited about their driver's license anymore as they are about getting their first iPhone. But... Um, but that was a, a big lesson, trying to make sure I had that, what was it, like 40 bucks a month, I think. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you're in high school and working one or two days a week, is it's a pretty good amount of your, Absolutely. Of your paycheck. Um, and then the big one, though, was uh, when I went to college, and this was a thing in the early 90s, you probably remember this too, one of the things is you get inundated with credit card offers. Yes. Um, And so there comes the credit card, get a free T-shirt, why not? And uh, I mean, it's a common story, but an 18, 19-year-old figuring that out was a huge lesson, Uh, particularly when I studied abroad in London and uh, (laughs) needed cash. Uh Uh (laughs) Um, And then getting faced with the realities of those credit card bills later and um, having to figure all that out. Those are some early lessons for me around... Um, and just how, in some ways, how money works yeah. and how it also doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and credit cards are particularly challenging uh, because they're not tangible, right? right? You are able to just sort of, there's def- there's deferred, you know, the, the bills will come due, but they're right. not coming due in the vi- this very moment. Yeah. Um, and particularly at 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, those are really tough things to, to grapple with. Do you mind if I... Ask if you've paid off those lessons already, or the the credit cards and the. Oh, I paid off twenty years later.
1: I paid off that credit card, but yeah. you know it's um, I'm terrible with money. So we, I, I, just sort of live in this cycle of racking up credit card debt and then yes, paying it gosh. off and then racking. Yeah. It. <laughs> so it's just this um, this pendulum swing for me in my whole life. I'm yeah. just uh, I'm just not good at money management. So I've learned the best thing for me is to just not have credit available.
0: I. I think that's true, I think, uh, but it's not even, you know, and you're not alone, yeah. you know for right. sure that oh, you're not yeah. alone, and yeah. I'm sure that you minister to a lot of congregants who yep. deal with this struggle too, mm-hmm. um, both from an identity and a reality perspective, right, about, you know, striving to be a couple steps ahead of yourself in status, Right. And we could talk about all that, yep. but, um, but then just the practical realities of how do I make ends meet on a day-to-day basis? Yes. And it, that's really rough. Yeah, we, my wife and I learned that
1: really head-on um, when we had our kids and we had um, you know we had a, an 18 month old and then we had twins so mm-hmm. we've got three kids under the age of two and I'm working as a youth pastor which uh-huh. um, you know makes decent money but not not really enough to raise a whole family and the big challenge was you know with a family that size it's not like we could just go get a little two-bedroom house I mean we right. Um, you need some space and uh, so finding and that was this was in the during the housing bubble so we're talking early to mid 2000s yeah um, when uh, housing prices were just skyrocketing and um, and so for us the credit card became the means by which we got gas and yeah. groceries and I mean it was sort of a function of yeah. do we do this or do do we not eat? Right. And so we, we managed to rack up some heavy credit card debt back in those days as well, which we're working on. And then where, where we're fortunate is we've had, I don't know, resources, savvy, whatever, to still just kind of manage through these things where it doesn't doesn't um, completely derail us. Yeah. But, uh, um,
0: but you do, uh, I mean, I remember that since uh, a friend of mine that we were running for office in the same cycle, his office was a little bit different than mine, Tim Walls, who's now a member of Congress. Okay. Um, and he was moving from being a high school football coach and teacher, this wife also being an educator um, and in the Air National Guard or the, the, in the Army National Guard I okay. think. Um, maybe it was in the reserves, but whatever, you know, pretty m- middle class blue collar and basically had to take his entire life off to run for Congress for 18 months sure. and it uh, you know came out that he had racked up, one hundred and fifty thousand, or something like that, in credit card bills wow. over that campaign cycle, and you know, knock a zero off of that, and that's kind of what I had to do in order to yep. really be able to afford to run as a bachelor without a permanent, you know, full time job at the time I was in law school and doing other things. And okay, uh, and you know, you just have that sense of like this could all just come do like right. that, and the world could come down on you. Yeah, and gosh, if only I can just defer that and defer that and defer that, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's. Um, I need to have a colleague of mine on, Tom Fisher, was the dean of the School of Architecture at the U, and he wrote a book after the bridge collapse. Oh, yeah. uh, Basically talking about our fracture critical society. Huh. How, if you remember, one member of that bridge failed, one structural member, and the whole thing went down. And that's kind of how our lives end up being, too, right? Is that we do sort of live that close to disaster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, with all that in mind, that if you're aware of that, which we, we always have been my wife and i um, it creates an intense anxiety mm-hmm. in your life that you're constantly living in in this place of anxiety and when one little thing goes wrong like a like a car needs some significant yeah. work or whatever it's it's a, it was amazing to me what it would do to our psyche um yes. and, and even our relationship and uh, and over time, now we've learned as we've gone through multiple financial struggles, um, to kind of take a breath when one comes now, and we're like, we've been through this.
0: Exactly. We're gonna get through yeah. it
1: again. We're gonna figure it out one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so the like now we're still probably just as bad with money, but um, the anxieties manage better.
0: I. My experience is that it's like 90% that, the latter, right? Yeah. It's about just being able to. I have uh, one of the co hosts, uh, um, or frequent guests on the podcast is going to be a dear friend of mine. I think I'd shared with you, who's a 28 year Marine fighter pilot and, okay. uh, Top Gun aviator, you know, stud of studs. And, yeah. um, and we got, uh, we got, uh, stuck to by somebody on a project we were working on uh, a little bit separate from this. And it was just like, you know, not the best behavior in the world. And, and, uh, And we debriefed a couple days later over the phone, and he's just like, Look, man, you know, dodge and fire, dodge and fire. Like, I don't, and I said, I don't have the training you have. Uh I just need to, can you give me three or four minutes to really complain and get this off my chest? Then I'm ready to grab the stick and maneuver the plane and, like, you know, just get mission focused again. And and it was interesting just how his entire being is so trained in in dampening down those anxieties, being, um, you know, pragmatic about them, but going, okay, what's my mission here? What do I need to do, and how that training just translates so much else, and money brings so much stress in our lives, and it does. How we can just get past the stress and just work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much easier. So, um, you have to be ministering to dozens of congregants who face these same challenges mm-hmm. today. What are well, it's what's it like to sort of be question, on the flip side of that, right? Um, <laughs>
1: The strange thing about it is, you know, I know, I know that I am, but uh, one of the one of the tricks I think of contemporary Christian culture is we don't talk about it very much. Um, you don't talk about your finances in church. Interesting, uh, which is weird um, because it's one of the number one things Jesus talked about. <laughs> but uh, um, and so people generally do not disclose uh, much of their financial situation unless they're really in a very
0: dire, immediate crisis. Which Um, makes it even harder, then, to talk about, right? right? Because they're wrapped up, and everything has sort of just snowballed together for um, them. But, you know, every
1: now and then, people do talk, you know, you get... You get little whispers about some people having some struggles, and you know maybe can't get a car fixed and things like that. Yeah. But uh, it's it's you know, and it's also probably somewhat a function of being in the upper Midwest. You know, we're all right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe if we were on the East Coast or something, people yes. would be more but upfront they, about it. Everybody but. would be in your business. 20 times over <laughs> right, but uh, that. Yeah. but we just don't talk about those things around here. You yeah. know. Um, uh, so I don't I don't do a lot of like direct. Um, counseling yeah. and, and discussions with people. However, you know it's there and um, it it finds its way into the preaching and teaching quite a bit. Um, we actually just hit this huge in our Sermon on the Mount series. I don't know if you want me to... Yeah, please. This is a, this yeah, is a big roll. piece of it yeah. because um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts talking about money. Um, and uh, it, it, his sort of money talk ends with um, you cannot serve two masters. A slave is going to uh, you know, either be loyal to one and not the other and, and you can't serve two masters. And then he wraps it up and says you cannot serve God in money. Straight up. Um, and the Greek word is manna. Or mammon, mm-hmm. not manna. That's a whole other thing. That's <laughs> another form of resources we um, talk about. Manna, right? <laughs> right, right, yes. right. Um, and then, right after that, the very next thing he says is therefore, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. And he goes into this beautiful conversation about worry Um, Mm -hmm. and that that worry passage often gets pulled out by itself and we love talking about it do not worry about your life what we miss is that it's coming right on the heels of some pretty big words about our relationship with money yeah Um, and how it is that we use it how we relate to it And, and and then in that in that do not worry part he talks about the birds of the air he says, look at the birds of the air, and they're beautiful, and they're fed, and and, and they're not worrying. Um, but one of the things about that image that I talked about is, yeah, the bird isn't worrying, but the bird is doing what it needs to do to um, to eat. Right. You know, right the bird exactly. doesn't just sit back and worms fall in the bird's yes, mouth. Yes, right. Um, and it's kind of like what you're saying about your friend there is, uh, yeah, we have these financial uh, problems that come in and these these big-time things that we have to worry about. But if you can tamp down the actual anxiety and then just do what you need to do for today, yeah. um, that's, that's how you get through it.
0: Interesting. The, the, uh, I'm reminded that uh, the bird metaphor also reminds me of the uh, American Indian. In fact, I think this is across uh, multiple cultures and multiple languages and tribes, uh, that if the maple, if the maple tree ran syrup rather than sap you would see young boys young teenagers drunk in the spring at the foot of the tree just open mouthed waiting for the sap to fall down, the syrup uh-huh. to fall in their mouths. Instead the tree runs sap that uh-huh. has to be boiled down yep. to turn into syrup. You know just like the rounding of the corners of the fields that uh, yeah. uh, Rabbi Sean Zevit and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago in, as one of the core edicts in the Old Testament uh-huh. in Jewish teaching of you don't harvest everything and then deliver it to you know to Goodwill. Right. You leave it standing right. so the dignity of work is there, et cetera. Yeah. but it's coming out of Ruth, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and then, uh, actually, originally out of uh, one of the original five books. Okay. So, okay. Yes, gotcha. but Ruth gotcha. does riff on it. And and here, I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not going to battle the pastor and liturgy even, even in the Old Testament because uh, you know you're way more learned than I, Paul. But um, that's really fascinating. So um, the Sermon on the Mount series. Have you? Um, is it part of a calendar that drove this, or was this your own? This is um, my own um, desire to just yeah. use it as a as a sort of focus focal point and drill in deeper.
1: Yeah, we um, we do something called the narrative lectionary, which is a new uh, lectionary setup. But it runs pretty much September to May, um, and then in the summer. The, this lectionary has these different sort of topical things you could choose yeah. from and I always, that's where in the summer I just kind of come up with my own thing and I just sort of discerned early spring last year that it, um, a, a deep look into the Sermon on the Mount would be good uh, good for our congregation based on some things we've talked at more high level you know, yeah. um, uh, angles but uh, so yeah, I just decided let's let's dig into this and we spent you know, um, what is it, 10-12 weeks uh, wow. looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7.
0: And you, uh, uh, you've been at it long enough to get some real conversations and response from congregants. What have, what have you gotten from it?
1: It's been great. Um, we just finished it. Um, and this last Sunday, we just started this new cycle of the narrative lectionary. So we finished um, the Sermon on the Mount on Labor Day. Um, and some people have said it's been a really just impactful series. Um, and I think part of it is just going deep. Yes. You know, we're, we're often just skimming the surface. Yes, on right. Things.
0: Here's today's lesson. Chew on it. Yeah, Talk about it over but, over supper and then you're out, right? Yeah, we're yeah. really,
1: you know, drilling down into these words. And, um, the you know, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of people don't realize this really is a uh, kind of a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. Um, what Jesus is really doing there is is sort of unpacking mm-hmm. um, what it means to fulfill the spirit of the Ten Commandments as opposed to the letter of the Ten Commandments. Um, and uh, and, he, and so it's, there's just a lot of really practical stuff. There's yeah. stuff about, you know, it's, this is where you get the love your enemies and things like that, and these are really relevant topics for today. Absolutely. So um, to be able to just kind of dive in and chew on those things uh, for 12 weeks was, I think, some, got some people really
0: thinking and, and in the show notes for this episode, we're going to link to uh, to some of those sermons that have been streaming where folks mm-hmm. can really listen and uh, dig in a little bit yeah. deeper and, and learn. That's a great service you provide. I know you're not alone in, <laughs> in, in, in congregations it's, doing it. It's so, necessary these days. Right, right, This is not 2002 <laughs> where it's like on guard yeah. to do that. But at the same time, <laughs> right. I think it's uh, – I'm really looking forward to listening to them. I deliberately have not uh-huh. uh, taken this posture for the podcast to uh, – to be unprepared sure. Uh, just because that's how I think most of us come to these things and then sort of figure out what we want to really dive into after the conversations, and this yeah. is one of them that I definitely want to. Um, so we talked before about the particular uh, challenges from a business standpoint mm-hmm. and balance sheet and sort of keeping things rolling here um, at Aldersgate, but before we jump there, I don't want to miss this chance to ask... Uh, You, in very personal terms, how did the, you know, very compassionate, smart, bright Paul Bodwin that I knew in high school become Pastor Paul Bodwin? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. uh, So that's it for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, No, you
1: know, I, um, it's an interesting journey because I did have a, you know, radical conversion experience, um beginning of my senior year of high school, I don't even know how many people I went to high school with know all about that, because um, it happened, you know, late in my high school years, and then uh, it took a while to sort of figure out what that was, but um, but I got thrust into um, some very, uh, I'll say rigorous, <laughs> conservative evangelical contexts, um, and not growing up in the church at all, mm-hmm. um, I mean, really never went to church my, my whole life, pretty much, uh, once my dad left. Um, I had no idea what what uh, what Christianity was uh, what it could be um, so I got thrust into this very conservative evangelical circle I'm like, oh I guess this is it and um, so I went down that road uh, which I have I mean I could talk forever on that and I won't but there's a it's a whole mixed bag of that experience but the one thing it did was, it did drive me deeper into the scriptures Mm -hmm. um, and, and that drive more deeply into the scriptures as somebody who was always a bit of a critical thinker um, led me to really become fascinated with the Jesus that is described in the four gospels. Um, Which now when I look back on it, I'm like the Jesus that's described in the four gospels is very different than the one that the conservative evangelical (laughs) church was telling me about, Uh, which is why I've sort of, that's, My conservative evangelicalism is kind of a part of my past, although Mm -hmm. it's also, in a weird way, a bit of my foundation. Yeah. Um, But all that is to say, because of that drive so deeply into all of this, it just sort of—I kind of just stumbled into ministry once I graduated from college. Just I was a theater major. You know, what are you
0: going to do with that? (laughs) Turns out, turns out performing in front of an audience. (laughs) Right, right, right. right, right. Yeah, you got to find an audience somewhere, and this was. I could, I could get through this audition, um, but uh,
1: um, but I just sort of stumbled into ministry because of some some passions that arose out of um, looking at the life of Jesus as described in the Gospels, and then that it just all kind of snowballed from there, starting in youth ministry um, mm-hmm. and just continuing to kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper, but also broader. Um, when I... When I really became clergy and a pastor in the United Methodist Church, for me it was not about leaving youth ministry. It was about just broadening my ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never really felt like, now that I'm a pastor, I don't minister to youth. Right. Um, But uh, although I do try to step back now because my kids are in the youth group. So (laughs) that's a whole other thing. But uh, so it really was sort of just a stumbling into it. Um, Also, a paying attention to who you are. What you're passionate about, uh-huh. what you're good at, what feeds you, what gives you life—like, just kind of—I've always been a reflective person, yeah. and yeah. Um, the more as I was stumbling into it, it it started to feel like, yeah, I think this is like I have something to contribute here, um, and uh, and it's been an exciting journey. And now that I am where I am, where I'm I'm actually the pastor of a mm-hmm. congregation, has been really what I feel like it's all been working toward. Um, my whole life
0: it, it feels very native to to me that mm-hmm. this is you know the right place for you and in a, uh, uh, i can imagine your congregants to you is very relevant very you know with them mm-hmm. and uh, that it's not somebody on stage alone you know right. that's this removed kind of conversation um, you're not Joel Osteen oh in a, gosh in, a, in sort of a positional <laughs> way we'll just leave it at that right no uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I try not. If I right. ever
1: am, I hope somebody calls me out on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, since I called him
0: out a couple weeks ago. Exactly. Well, but. good for you. I'm glad that I'm glad that you did. I mean, I think that uh, we we do have to be careful not to make you know uh, he's not the enemy. No. But um, uh, and certainly has brought the brought morality and and you know uh, religiosity or a, a sense of the sacred to a very large audience. Um, so I think we have to be careful not to throw babies out with bathwater. Right. right. But at the same time... Um, you want to talk about moral a, money, though? There's a conversation to be had there with Joe host. <laughs> well, I, I think there is. And I'm trying to, you know, as somebody who has been immersed in politics, I'm trying to, to keep yeah. uh, keep uh, keep us one layer out of the directly political yeah. conversation. Because this is yeah. um, it's one of the things I think I learned, actually, by representing uh, a community that, as and particularly being Jewish and uh-huh. uh Heavily Catholic and Lutheran and and Evangelical free, yeah. Um, finding ways for us to just find o- make keep openings for conversations, yep. right? And yep. politics tends to shut people down. Yep. And I don't think it's any more so now than it was in the past. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, 200 years ago, people were saying the same terrible things about each other as candidates, and yeah, you know, yeah. it's just it. People tend to shut down, and I'd rather keep us open, and that's you. what uh, what conversations about uh, sacred things should be. Um, So, how did you get to come to Aldersgate specifically? Um, Can you talk a little bit more about the challenges and the opportunity that this particular pulpit has represented for you?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, if you want to, just quickly, the way I ended up at this church had to do with, um, I was living in the way east end of the metro, right across the border from Wisconsin, from Hudson, um, and miserable. I hated it over there, but we were stuck in this house that we bought in 2004, and it just depreciated, and we are underwater on it, and all this stuff, so we were, and I was just, I hated living over there. Um, When I pulled into my garage every day, I would sigh as the Mm. car was going into the garage, Mm because I just hated it. Um, It was miserable. And a friend of ours was uh, living in St. Louis Park, got transferred to D.C. and needed to rent her house, and we joked about renting it from her, and the joke very quickly became a reality. So all of a sudden I was living in St. Louis Park and I was an associate pastor at the United Methodist Church in Rosemount um, and starting to get to the point where I really needed to no longer be an associate um, (laughs) and uh, fell in love with St. Louis Park. It just felt like home. It's close to where I grew up. My wife's from Edina, close to where she grew up. Um, So we found a home here and really... It just just connected with the community, and so when this church's um, when this church opened up for a new pastor in 2015, uh, I didn't even know it was opening up. Our system works such that you know you just kind of go where the bishop tells you to yeah. go. Um, but the bishop and his cabinet knew that I was looking to move, and they try to find places that are good fits for people. And they thought, you know what? I think it it actually would be a good fit for him. Um, so I came over here and met with um, their staff parish relations committee and, and that's and it just fit and it worked yeah. So that's how I ended up here specifically yes um, You asked about challenges yeah one of the big challenges here is uh, a budget deficit um, and it's amazing how that kind of thing impacts everything that a church tries to do. Um, it, it becomes this, it shouldn't you can't you can't operate this way but in reality that that budget deficit almost becomes the mission of the church yeah. how do we close that yeah um, if you make that your mission you're never going to close it that's right, that's right. <laughs> but right. you also have right. to constantly be asking yes. how are we going to close that deficit so we've got a pretty substantial deficit um, that is really about a church that has been numerically shrinking for a couple decades I think. Um, and it yet has been trying to continue to staff itself in such a way for growth, which, you know, is a, a good thing. They're not wanting to just throw into the towel, yeah. throw in the towel and close. Right, right. Um, but you still have that deficit to figure out and that's been a big challenge, but we're, we're closing it and, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, cause with that comes some, some freedom, yeah. but that's been a big, a big challenge is trying to figure all that out. So we have this huge deficit. It's basically an income expense issue. But we also have some pockets of money in all kinds of places. We have a foundation. Uh-huh. Um, we have some money from the sale of some parsonages, um, which there ends up being restrictions on what we can do with that money yeah. by virtue of our polity. But, um, but those pockets of money have been the thing that have helped uh, compensate for that deficit yeah, over the been last we years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, we're, but the congregation is getting fatigued on using those because yes. um, that foundation was not
0: designed for that purpose and and you know of course you are not alone R- yeah right? I, so I this know congregation yeah, this is, is not alone at right. all but it's a it's a very real struggle for these small and medium-sized congregations um, yeah uh, as you know I'm a, a hope and I are members at Sheertikva mm-hmm. uh, an independent now reform uh, okay. uh, congregation in South Minneapolis two blocks away is Mount Olivet Lutheran Church right. so there you want to see some interesting um, Yeah. Uh, um, examples of the, of the opposites in terms yeah. of struggles, but the we've gone through this exact same uh, conversation because the ethic of Shirtikva has been radical hospitality mm-hmm. and, um, and the income versus expense is a challenge, yet having the ballast of, uh, of an endowment, uh, yeah. and um, same exact conversations. Why do you think uh, that deficit, what's your read on how that deficit uh, came about? Um, and that, I'm not out of blame at all, but yeah. really, it's trying to because it's I really want to understand yeah. your read on it, and then because I think how we, what's the disease? It's not really right. a disease, but what's the challenge? Then <laughs> the solution of that challenge has right. to actually address the challenge itself. Otherwise, you're kind of.
1: And it's both. At its most base level, it came about because of decline in membership and attendance, um, and and then not shrinking your expenses to yes. to match the shrinking of uh, members and and attendees, attenders, um, attenders, anyway, um, that's the, you know, that's really what created it, Um, if you look at, at yeah, the 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 expenses stay the same, but the
0: income, yeah, relatively the the
1: same, and they're going to come down a little bit, but, um, so that's, you know, just, that's really, I think the question behind that, though, is, okay, well, then what, what caused the decline? Um, and membership, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, that's a that's a whole other kind of a question that's that's multifaceted. If I were to strip it down, and I, I still I don't want to place blame on any of my, no, my colleagues right, or anything, right. but um, I think when it really comes down to it, most churches today are struggling because of a certain degree of irrelevance, mm-hmm. um, and I would say spiritual irrelevance. Yeah. Um, we've just kind of lost a sense of
0: actually having something to contribute to people's lives. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, I uh, I was just gonna uh, offer the exact same observation that I think you and I both share, that you know, you have to to uh, gather bees, you have to have flowers in bloom, right? right. And that's a lot of work, because you have to tend the, the soil, and you have to plant right. the seeds, and feed them, and weed, and, yep. and it's a lot of daily work. It doesn't, it's not like the butterflies in the and the bees just show up, right? In in August and September, they show up because you did the work <laughs> in March, April, May, June, right? Um, but I think that's exactly right. I, uh, there's no question that, uh, um, or no surprise to me that y'all are doing better, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you help just aggressively make this place relevant, or at least make what? make the faith relevant, and a, this yeah. place a, re, a way to a vehicle, a vessel to reach some sort of faith-filled conversation. I think you know, one of the things that a lot of uh, particularly mainline Protestant
1: Christians say today is that there's a sort of lamenting of the past and that people aren't interested in church anymore. And I'm like, well, yeah, they might not be interested in church. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but right, the, right. but then within that, there there's sort of this um, critique of the culture that the culture is not really interested in spirituality at all, which I think is completely wrong. I think I actually think our culture is maybe more interested in spirituality today than ever in my life. Um, And to me, that's evidenced by like how much time and money people will spend on something like yoga. Um, You know, people don't do yoga just to get exercise. Uh There's a spiritual, emotional um, component to that as well. And they they find community there. And I mean, so there's all kinds of different ways in which people are finding spirituality Mm -hmm. today. So for the church to say, well... Culture is just not, you know, post-Christian culture and all this. It's like, no, this is actually a really exciting time to be in ministry because people are actually, I think, spiritually hungry. Yeah, they are. They're looking for something to ground their lives. And if you can't find it in this book, then I think you need a new job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how I feel? Because I find great spiritual nourishment and grounding in this story, this Bible Holding yes. things up and saying <laughs> this on the radio doesn't it's work right. well. <laughs> um, and and so that's what I get passionate about. And I think for me, that's the the fix yeah. in this church. Air quotes um, is is that spiritual vitality. Like let's we need to we need to deal with that budget at a certain level. But what we really need to focus on is spiritual grounding, spiritual vitality and I think then things will start to fall into place.
0: Well, and I particularly, uh, to tie back to the, um, the series of lectures on the, what do you call them, lectuaries, lectuaries? No, the, the lectionary. lectionary, yeah. uh, but the, that you put together yourself on the Sermon on the Mount going deep. Yeah. Now the, uh, as connected as we all are, I find myself needing real authentic connections, mm-hmm. like uh, Facebook and Twitter and all these other things actually make it more difficult sometimes yep. for me to feel more connected with people because mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of like this, you know, it's like the lonely person in the middle of Manhattan. Because yep. there's so many people around, I can't connect with anybody. Nobody, or Yo- to put it in Yogi Berra's terms, you know, nobody goes to Coney Island anymore because it's too dang crowded. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in some ways, I think it's a, it's it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and I think the opportunity to go deep mm-hmm. um, is we don't have that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're hungry. I think we are hungry for that because we're humans. that's mm-hmm. what we what we do we sort of pair bond and then we also community you know build communities around campfires Mm -hmm. and the campfires are harder and harder to get um, uh, today because we're so connected and able to get so much information everything else coming at us that having this opportunity to truly and that's I've asked what's the purpose of this podcast right Uh what do I really want to do we're gonna start talking about very pragmatic things of like okay if you're a millennial and you have uh, student loan debt, mm-hmm. and you're trying to, you know, what what you described with your wife, and whether you're starting a family or on your own, and you got credit yeah, cards, nice. this and that. Like, what what are things I could do to act more morally with my money? Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with you know, folks mid career like us to yeah. our parents. And um, but at the same time, I think part of this conversation is a it's a vessel for us to stop. Mm. Do a what my kids uh, do? They don't say timeout anymore. They don't. They just do t. <laughs> <which means> pause. Stop <laughs> right. what we're doing. Right. Um, so let's do a tea and chill for a minute, and yeah. just like uh, meditate or ruminate on this idea that there are ways that we can mm-hmm. use resources to go deeper. And I, I do think that um, that I'm finding great resonance in what you just said, Paul, about mm-hmm. be relevant, be a place that people want to be, and mm-hmm. some of this will work itself out. Not really, right? You can't just sort of pretend that the right. that the bird's going to fall into the worm's mouth. Right, right. Um, so uh, did you? Has your conversation as a congregation, how involved are you in the budget management and Mm -hmm. how much are you charged to be so under the UMC uh, uh, structure? And have you been like, you know, some of what you just described is I'm not going to look directly at the star, right? I'm going to do the stuff around it and I'm going to be able to see the star. Yeah. But at the same time, you also got to balance your books. What's your role in all that?
1: Uh, Well, it's huge. I mean, ultimately, it's my responsibility if the church falls into utter financial Disrepair, um, I'm on the hook um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, responsibility. They're not going to come after me for money. But, right, right, um, right. So, uh, that being said, uh, you know, per earlier on in our conversation, I'm terrible with money and I don't get yeah. balance sheets and investment. I just, it's something I don't get. So, I rely heavily on, on people in the congregation that are good at that. And we have some really great people. But um, from a Also, from a moral standpoint, ethical standpoint, that's where I really have a lot of responsibility. Um, So I sit with a team of people. um, Some of them, we have like a finance team that works on this. We also have a church council, which is a whole bunch of leaders uh, handling various aspects of the ministry. But they also contribute to that conversation as well because that budget that's created impacts the work that they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, And I sit with both of those, and it's my job to make sure that the way we are managing our budget um, reflects the mission of the church and what we're about and what we're trying to do. Um, And so that's where I come in and say, you know, the the closing of the deficit cannot be our mission. We cannot. Like, for example, when I first came here, we were talking— We're like a. I'll just throw out the numbers. Our books are public anyway. It's like a three hundred some thousand dollar operating budget, um, and we were running anywhere. Just kind of depended how you slice it, right? Mm-hmm. But anywhere from like a fifty to ninety thousand dollar deficit. Wow, that's massive. Each um, year. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so people are like, well, we got to close that, and I just straight up said to him, we will not close this right away we're probably looking at a three- to four-year minimum Mm -hmm. because there's just no way. So give up the dream of some magic formula fixing that right away. You won't do it, um, short of pretty much eliminating all staff other than me, which would then shut down the church because... Right. I, it would be a nightmare if I didn't have these other staff <laughs> yes, <exactly>. members <laughs> Sunday morning would be entertaining but uh, nobody would be able to know what time you, it was you would be, <laughs> be at the campfire so, which is, you
0: know. <laughs>
1: so I have that kind of job where yeah. I have to be the one to, to step back and um, look at those situations, understand them enough to see their severity yeah, um, and then start to work with a team of people that that understand money better than I do on how to close it. So, for example, heading into 2017 when we were doing our stewardship campaign last fall, um, the chair of our finance committee said, you know, I think if we could, he said if we could, uh, I can't remember what the amount he had was, if we could close it by this amount, that would be a really great step forward. And he said that comes out to about if everybody increased their giving by 11%. So we did this whole thing around um, Spinal Tap and going to 11 Um, (laughs) (laughs) as sort of a stewardship campaign. Exactly, right, right. And it worked. Note note to self, uh,
0: invite the producers of Spinal Tap to... Right. Right. Um, We just did, you know, I played
1: that clip from the movie... That's uh, great. ...as a way of, like, just helping people see... And adding levity, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. So very sober, yeah, right. So that we're not panicking. Right, exactly. But here's what we need to do. Yeah. We, we yeah. need to go to 11. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we yes. just need that extra. Uh, yeah. So, and that worked. Now, I can't come back this year and do the same right, thing. Of no. Right, of course. So, um, the the good thing is um, because of some increased vitality, like our deficit is looking to be significantly um, smaller this year than yeah. we anticipated. But, uh, so, but I have to, as that's part of my job, is to sort of manage yes. those right. things. But when it comes down to the real numbers, like... Here's another thing. We're looking at, and this is where I'm I'm not a good finance person, but some of our finance people who aren't even on the finance team actually called a meeting with us to say, all right, here's what. There's good stuff happening in church. Attendance is up. Energy's up. Um, What assets do we have that we can leverage? Yeah. Which is, I don't, that's not the kind of question I ask when it comes to money. And one of them is the property. Yes. We own this property. We have no debt. And it's a good amount of property in a very hot, area Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're talking about like do we want to take out some kind of home equity loan so that we're not draining that foundation anymore Um, because it's an asset that we can leverage Uh, and so I have people that come up with those kinds of ideas and then I have to help discern whether that's a good idea
0: or not, <laughs> it, it's so interesting. The uh, even just the way that you gestured and talking about you know the basically the mission, uh, the church council over here, and then you have the finance folks over yeah. here, and um, and it's not never the the two shall meet. They're flip sides of the same coin. Yeah. But it's which which is heads, right? Right. And the mission is heads. And yes. The, and the money is what makes the mission possible, and the mission will drive. the Yes the um, generation of money rather than vice versa and I think that's um, we often do get that backwards i see in business all the time people you know forget right that's part of our our whole
1: uh, structure around here the image we have is you know we have these teams that really what we say carry out our mission yeah and it's there's like a circle where the mission is and then those teams are fanning out from that mission yes and then I have we have teams that I say are the ones that resource the mission and that's our finance team and the team that manages our staff. That's a and, great way to talk about and it. And they're underneath as the foundation. They just resource the mission so that these teams have something to work with. Yeah. Um, and and it it doesn't diminish the significance of a finance team. It shouldn't. Yeah. But it is to say that you know, you're you're the resource. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> you're not the you're not the one carrying out the mission mission,
0: you're resourcing it. Right. And that's important. Right. Because without resources, we're dead. It's uh, the difference between the thing and just another thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. If the thing is the mission, then the money is what makes the thing possible, Um, which I think can, done well, can enrich the conversations about money, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you're always thinking of it as this is the fuel for the engine, then that fuel takes on you know, uh, the engineers uh, who listen will go, why are you talking about richness of fuel? But, you know.
1: (laughs) And to come full circle, all of that goes right back to what I was saying about when Jesus was talking about money. Yeah. When he said you cannot serve God and money. And part of that is I think sometimes we serve money. Yeah. We, um, you know, our money is telling us what to do. Yeah. And when we start to do that as a church... We completely lose sense of our mission mm-hmm. and what God is telling us to do. And then, so and another way to say this is, God is the source of everything, and then God gives us resources to do what God wants us to do. And that is sort of the, uh, from a church standpoint, but from, from also from a personal standpoint, my idea of having a healthy relationship with money—that every little. Every every asset you have, whether it's a car, a a property, money, is a resource Mm -hmm. from the source to do what the source wants you to do. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I'm I'm trying not to step on the step on the punchline here because that was so beautiful, Paul, and and it's uh, strikes. It's a much more uh, cogent way of articulating what I've always felt, which is that. that you know, money is not profane, mm-hmm. and, but it is also not inherently sacred. It, it is neither. It is what it's we neutral. do with it, um, except that it is a creation. It is part of creation. Yes. So therefore, it has this potential to be used to be a vehicle for for deeper connectedness and deeper spirituality. It also has a connection for doing pretty dangerous and yep. terrible things, as we yep. see every day, unfortunately. Yep. Um, but it's, it's yeah. part of how we
1: relate to one another. Um, Money. I mean, we do it every day. Yeah. Whenever when you go to a coffee shop and you buy coffee, there's a, a relationship happening there with that exchange. The, just the, the whole marketplace is relational. Um, it's about exchanging things between one another. Where we really get lost is when you start to get into that weird stuff that happens on Wall Street that I don't understand. Is mm-hmm. when, when you're not even actually exchanging anything anymore <laughs> um, and you leads to all kinds of housing crises and things like that. Um, it's where it gets messed up, but at its most base level, like the marketplace itself isn't necessarily bad. Yeah, it's it's almost a way in which um, the world has begun to structure itself so that we can live in relationship with with one another, exchanging goods, yeah. um, so that we can survive. You have this, and I have this, and um, mm-hmm. so we have to do that. We can't not do it. Um, and there's a system in place, and, and every nation and every time and space has had a different way of, of uh, setting up that system. Um, we're in a capitalist one right now, for better or for worse, um, but we have this free market economy, right? Yeah. That's yeah. A, it's, a, it's a system of exchange for people to live and relate to one another. It's when you start serving that system, when right. you cross over from being a participant in, d- in it to a servant in it, that I think we
0: end up having real problems. Uh, if you could indulge me for a second, I, I want to give a very concrete example of what you just talked about. Yeah. Paul. So, uh, um, as we've talked about before, I've helped facilitate financing for underserved markets for energy efficiency and solar, and I'm just delighted to see that you got LED lighting here. And that's, uh, <laughs> We're working. It's not only a great space, but it's also you know super efficient and uh-huh. doing all sorts of good there. Um, but uh, so I've been working with a bunch of credit unions who said, look, we've been invited to be more proactive on climate response and helping communities get out there and um, you know is there a way that we could be a difference maker and we love underserved markets so it's been about a year and um, and we've built a lot of trust and are uh-huh. about to have a pretty fun announcement so I got an email late last week of you know we need to go down and look at each of those borrowers of these 14 projects each of those borrowers or we need to be able to show that we've looked closely enough hmm. at a few of them so that we know what this partner is saying, that the, that the payments have been made and will continue to be made, we actually owe it not only to the regulators who are gonna ask, uh-huh. but to ourselves to say, we're not gonna assume what everyone else has told us on paper. Yeah. We need to actually see how you judge those credits and those repayments and their mm-hmm. likelihood um, for ourselves. And you know, part of me was like, come on guys, I've given you everything. Are we really gonna slow this down? But exactly what you just said, the difference between doing it on a spreadsheet versus actually knowing that borrower in sufficient detail and constantly re-looking at those individual borrowers, those individual projects, so that you feel like you're touching it, you have an authentic relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, it becomes, you know, I just described the three layers. And then if the credit unions were to sell this portfolio, that's the fourth layer. Yep. And you start getting so far away from the source that you start going, well, how do I know and trust? And that's exactly I, I learned financing because uh-huh. I served in the legislature during the collapse of the housing market, oh, right. and it was six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's the Big Short if you've seen the movie. Right oh yeah, now. I love that movie. And it's it's a great expa- yeah. the, the book is an even better explanation okay. of how little was being. Um, how much people were just trusting what they were told. So yep. then it became this paper transaction, mm-hmm. not a human transaction. Right. And, um, you know, I really was, I was like, darn it, you really want to do more due diligence? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You want to do more due diligence because if we get ahead of ourselves, then we are adding mm-hmm. zeros too fast and yep. setting up for the same cycle. Um, yeah. And I think you spoke really, really well to it.
1: Well, and as a, as a Christian pastor, I, I would say that there is a – there is actually a spiritual component to all of that that gets lost the further removed from yes. the relationship yes. you get. There, there's a way in which every, uh, every marketplace, whether it was first century Rome or 21st century America, in a sense has sort of a divinely ordained structure to it because it's meant to put humans in relationship mm-hmm. with one another. Um, and when our economies lose sight of that, from a spiritual standpoint... I think we get into big trouble (laughs) when we lose sight of the way in which a
0: marketplace is relational Amen Um, I have one more uh, question for you specifically about Aldersgate Yes, uh, and then a couple of uh, wrap up questions generally you've been very generous with your time and I appreciate it a great deal it's just after 11 oh okay I got a little bit more time Um, at Aldersgate how do you raise money is it the offer plate. What's the what do the mechanics look like, and right. what's the ask like? Um, in some ways, it does start with
1: our stewardship campaign that we have every fall, which is um, a four to five week period where we start um, really asking people to think about what they're going to give for the next year. Um, there are some New Testament verses. I'm not sure if it's in the Old Testament that talk about like being ready to give in a sense of um, prepare to give, decide ahead of time hmm. what you're going to contribute. And I think we use that as a way of saying, all right, a new year is coming. Mm-hmm. What are you going to pledge, essentially, um, to give? And so we get people to think about that. They turn in pledge cards, and then that helps us figure out what our budget might be. Now, at the end of the day, whether people turn in a pledge card or not, especially in a congregation this size, I can kind of look through... The roles and yeah. get a pretty good idea of what our budget's going to be just by virtue of who's sticking around and what they've been giving, and <laughs> they're going to probably continue to give at least that. Um, but it does sort of start there. That's yep. the the primary um, mechanism, I guess, is getting people to think ahead of time about what they're going to give, and then um, from a week to week basis, it is the offering plate. We you know receive an offering every every week um, I always try to be very careful about using the language receive an offering rather than take an offering um, yes. <laughs> take yes. just sounds exactly. very aggressive yes, um, yes. <laughs> open up your wallet and I will reach in there, right, you know? right right, <laughs> right. yes um, and uh, with that offering often people are you know giving fulfilling their pledge but then you do also have people that didn't pledge or new people that are going to drop money in there um, and that so that's a a Another primary mechanism, and that's where we've seen the most growth in the last couple of years, is in what we call um, what do they call it? Like loose offerings or yeah. something, which means it's money that isn't attached to any pledge or long time yes. member. It's just sort of like, hey, it's gravy. Yes. <laughs> um, right, right. And we've seen, a, and that happens on Sunday. Yes, in uh, every Sunday at the
0: close of the. Or uh, did, we do uh, it
1: kind of in the middle. Okay. Um, there's a lot of strategies that say you should do it at the end and you should do it right after your sermon because that's when you get the most people giving. It feels manipulative to me. Mm-hmm. So I always do it before the sermon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like right before? Or you, uh, pretty much. Some, okay. Yeah, we do some like singing and prayers and things like that. And then um, we have an offering and then we read the scripture and preach and, we're, and then we're done. Um, but I like to have it before the message because I, I don't ever want somebody to feel... Like, what I'm saying yes, from the pulpit right. is manipulating them to give. And here's the clothes, right? <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. baby, yeah. give. Yeah, um, so, but that's a um, primary, that that really is the primary thing. But in this day and age, it will also say electronic giving and all of that um, has made the literal passing of the plate yeah. less important. Yes. Uh, the majority of our gifts come through, whether it's uh, once a month, twice a month, once a week,
0: um, electronic giving. And, uh... I think we've talked about this before, but you know, in Judaism we don't touch money on oh, uh, right. the, the Sabbath, on Shabbat, and so we don't have an offer plate.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, we're about to go into the high holiday season here, oh, right. and um, so there's a series of asks from the pulpit. Um, most often at Shur they come, in fact I think they come exclusively from the lay uh, leaders. The uh, rabbis will not make the hard ask, Okay. Um, and it's a cultural thing, I know there's some teaching around it too. Um, I uh, have found that more and more rabbis are willing to engage at least in some of that conversation mm-hmm. about you know especially in, if there is a crisis but the challenge is that even in good times you should be talking about the spiritual engagement and yeah right on uh, the spiritual yeah. opportunity but uh, so we might fold down a tab okay. because also we don't write in in shul we just uh, okay um, uh, in fact I snapped a picture of your of you looking at the Bible that I'll throw up on the the uh-huh. show notes for the site if that's okay with you. And oh, yeah. we were talking before we uh, went live about um, the fact that you know your your Bible's very heavily marked up. Mm-hmm. We would never ever ever you know take out a pen and, and right. touch the the Torah, not even the scroll, but just the the Tanakh, the, the sure. Old Testament um, itself um, as a book. And we don't do that on Shabbat either. So even just writing down on Yom Kippur, like you know, here's my. Two hundred dollar pledge for the year sure. is whatever, um, but we fold down a tab. So then, my thing is, what's the difference? If you have yeah. the same intention, what's yep, the difference? Yep. Um, but our ask is so different then hmm. because we don't have this offer plate that we can, yeah, that we can give. Um, and I'm really, really interested in, and in that dramatically affects our ability to talk spiritually about money because it's not happening in the service in yeah. that same moment. Whether you, uh, you know, we're, we're even more removed than your choice to put it, put the offer before the sermon. Yeah. It's way, you know, yeah, it's days it's apart, it's, it's yeah, right, years right. apart yep. almost, yep. right? Yeah. yeah. It's just an interesting mechanic, I think, from it, from faith to faith and congregation to congregation.
1: Yeah, the tricky part for me is is that we do it every week. And yes. so now every week I have to stand up there and sort of announce that it's offering time and how do you do that? How You know, when people say, well, like, oh, whenever I go to church, all they're doing is yeah, asking right, for, right. Ask me for money and it's like. Well, they're kind of right because yeah, right. we do it every week. Right. <laughs> we ask you for money. Um, and so how do you, uh, for me, you know, it's like, well, if we're honest, you know, we believe that what you're giving to is not just my salary, right. Right. you are, right. that is how I'm paid, but um, mm. but that there should be some broader spiritual elements, what you're giving to. We yeah. phrase it as the kingdom of God, right? You're, you're given to the kingdom. And then that means that our budget, has to reflect that. Yes. Does the budget reflect what we would call kingdom work? Yes. Um, and that's where it gets tricky. I find myself yeah. every week praying this prayer, um, and I mean it. And I and I hope that we as leaders are running our our, our ministry this way. But I pray that that those dollars and coins and automatic withdrawals yeah. may indeed become seeds of peace and hope and justice throughout mm-hmm. the world. And that's the. So that's the ask I have to do every week uh, where it gets a little weird, but if I can keep phrasing it in seeds of peace and hope and justice in the world, I feel okay about it. But we have to live that out on the back end. So I'm asking them to give to that. Now we darn well better be sure that we're living up to it, which is one of the things I like about our polity is that our our books are wide open. Any member has full access to every penny we spend. Um, My salary isn't even approved without a congregational vote every year. Yeah, Um, We have to come to a a vote. So it's just public as ever. Everybody knows every little dime
0: that I'm making, and and that's a good thing. And I was even uh, about to ask if you've ever thought about taking a Sabbath from the ask, but because you were just articulating at the start of this little uh, um, riff about it gets old, yeah. Except that that's exactly what a discipline is, is, right. is a practice, is that you don't ever let it go. That you. Yeah. And there are, I imagine there are sometimes. I mean, I knocked on 37,000 doors yeah, oh as goodness. a candidate, right? And, and I think to be fair, probably 20,000 of them, the first 15 seconds of the conversation were so just, hey, I'm Jeremy Kalin, running for state representative, want to stop by, ask for your vote. I'm running for blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, right? As I'm thinking about, what am I going to have for dinner? Right yeah. or uh, right. you know, gosh, what did Hope ask me to do? Yeah. Did I go to um, Wendy's twice yesterday? Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then something clicks in. Right. You, it's yeah. it's the that practice allows you to actually slip out of yourself, mm-hmm. so that then you can slip back in when it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. wait, there's something real happening yeah. here, right? Or or well, wait, this guy, what is that in the, in that guy's hand? Oh, that is a shotgun. <laughs> oh, he has a reason for holding it. All right. He was like I was catching him on his way out to you know go uh, go you know go to the sportsman club and, and but
1: no but that is that's part of the reason we do it also is um, is that sort of spiritual practice because we also believe that that regular giving is a spiritual discipline yes um, and that's where it starts to feel manipulative but I actually really do believe it that part of the reason we give to the church or give anywhere but primarily the church is. Uh, when you're giving that portion of your income, this is, gets into the tithing yes. and all that stuff, you are in a very real way kind of making a statement about your life saying, you know what, I do trust the source, God, more than the resource. And so there's a release. We talk a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. about that, about the, our, our posture towards money. Is it like this with a clenched fist where you're holding it tightly? Because yeah. that's tense and that's yep. going to impact you spiritually or do you hold it loosely with your arms open, your palms up, um, and, yes. and that's a relaxed posture and a trusting posture, and that's gonna impact you spiritually. And so the the regular weekly giving is a way of practicing release um, of your resources and holding them loosely and trusting yeah. God with them. Can get very manipulative very quickly though. Right, right. <laughs> So yes. I have to be really careful with it. Um, yeah. And I yeah, have to and, do it myself
0: too. And and you are such a compelling person you always have been, uh, very captivating, very alive. Mm-hmm. You're very you know and very giving of your time and attention. And I can see that that we who do have some of that uh, sort of razzle dazzle, you know, in the yeah. theater piece, you got to be really really careful not to overdo it.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because uh, yeah, especially like having been in youth ministry. Oh yeah. And going to camps and retreats and things like that. Um, I started to realize like. Yeah, I can get some conversions real easily. Yeah, right. Um, yep. I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it scared me to death when I started to realize that about myself, yeah. about the kind of authority that I just sort of had over those students by virtue of position, by virtue of skill set, by virtue. Yeah. Um, and it's we got to be really careful with that stuff. Um, well,
0: I think that level of consciousness and self-awareness you bring is, is obviously uh, bearing fruit here almost literally in terms of helping to Create a more healthy relationship around mm-hmm. your the Aldersgate budget, and and then, but to really make this a vital place to be, but not such yeah. a point where it's it's like you know that's a lot of sizzle and let's oh, talk at right. the steak right yeah yeah
1: no it's um it's one of the things I'm passionate about I have zero interest in running like a super glitzy religious organization but I am very interested in people finding fulfillment in their lives and I think the church still has uh, it still, has some, it still has a fit in our culture mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I want above all else. And I think it's because that's, that's how I came to faith. was like, wait, this actually had real impact on my life. And I want that same thing for other people. And I believe that Christianity can do that. Um, as I've grown, I've started to realize I don't think only Christianity can do that. But I think for people who are seeking spiritually... Here's a, you know, here's what I know. Here's yeah. an avenue that's worked for me. Um, there might be another one that you know, works for others, and but I still think we have something to offer. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> it, but it's not
0: exclusively that. Uh, so, again, thank you so much for, this is a great way to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for your generous time and spirit and, and teaching. I've learned a lot just in this last hour. I learned a lot when we sat down. Yeah. Uh, a few months ago, and ended up two and a half hours. I think it was. <laughs> it was a good uh, conversation. It was is, fun. And this is another one. Um, three questions for yep. you. First is uh, for those who'd love to experience Aldersgate. Uh, when are services? 10
1: a.m. Sunday mornings.
0: Great. At um, 3801
1: Wooddale, Avenue south. south. Yeah, it was luck Park. finding it. <laughs> You'll find it. You just can't get to it. And <laughs> Get in. It's a confusing it's building. A, uh, <laughs> but we're um, working on it, that. It, it, uh, it's
0: easily accessible on, on Waze and, and Google Maps. I, right. I found my way at least to park on the street, and then you know I tried several doors to get Did in. Did you come but, in this uh, side over here? Yeah. yeah. What I was jo- going to joke, I came in through the Paul Bearer's entrance, right? <laughs> <laughs> as you'll That's see. That's exactly um, it. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, no, it's easy. Once you're here, just uh, yep. find the right door, um, yep. and I think you'll find a very welcoming uh, place for those who want to try it. Yeah. Uh, how can people find you generally online? What's the best way for folks to find Pastor Paul Bodwin?
1: Um, well, I'm I'm a little bit on the Facebooks and the Twitter machines. Um, so and what's your what's your Twitter? Uh, at Belgian Friar. Excellent. Um, you can yes. also go to BelgianFriar.com. Oh really? I bought it. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I have a little blog. I don't do a lot with it, but um, so I just needed a space for myself to put yes. musings. Um, but uh, you can find me there. Um, and I'm
0: also trying to the Aldersgate website as Aldersgate
1: well. Aldersgate website, yeah, which is aldersgatemn.com. Great. The reason for that MN is uh, I won't get into the history, but there's pretty much an Aldersgate
0: United Methodist in just about every state. Um, and you're it for Minnesota. So, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> awesome. Um, great. And uh, Belgian Friar is uh, Belgian, B-E-L-G-I-A-N, and Friar, F I F R I A R. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. I am the Belgian forever. <laughs> uh, and uh, last question for you. What's in your wallet? I don't have a wallet. <laughs> well, I have a rubber band. <laughs> Excellent. What's in your rubber band?
1: Um, uh, maybe 20 bucks in cash only because I was doing some fun things this weekend and needed cash. I don't normally have it. Uh, A church credit card, a driver's license, a health insurance card, and a personal check card.
0: Awesome. That's all I have. How else do you... uh, Any other ways you spend money? PayPal? Uh, Apple Pay, anything else, or is it all? My from, wife's trying to uh, get me band? to do
1: Apple Pay. I Evidently, it's set up, but
0: I have no clue how to use it. I'm a check <laughs> card guy. I, <laughs> I I've started reusing PayPal in the last year for some transactions where it's like, God, I don't want to send you a check. That'll take four days yeah. and a pain on the rear end. Um, uh, but mostly, it's uh, I don't use Apple Pay or anything else myself. But um,
1: I'm a bit of a child with all that stuff, and if I need that. My wife does it for me. So, like, yeah, I've had to have her use PayPal for me. Yes. um, Because I just don't have the energy to figure it out. I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you.
0: Well, thanks so much, Pastor Paul. It's uh, been a real delight. You bet. It was fun. Anytime. Well, folks, there you have it. Episode 2 of the Moral Money Podcast. You can learn more about Pastor Paul Bodwin at the show notes for episode two on moralmoneypodcast.com by clicking Listen Now or the Episodes tab on the upper right. As always, I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and co-workers, family, neighbors, and congregants. Download the episodes, and do check out the website and sign up for our mailing list on moralmoneypodcast.com. Have a great and prosperous week. Catch you soon for the next episode of the Moral Money Podcast.